We're going to look at Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 34. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 34. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Friends, this is the word of the Lord given by the triune God of love because he loves you. Here's what we want to look at today. We want to look at the big picture of stewardship. The fact that life is stewardship. And stewardship is about the kingdom of God. Stewardship is about the fact that God owns everything. And he has entrusted to us the management of what he owns. Now, I know it's tempting to think, oh, my goodness, <laughs> that's too big a job. That's a lot of pressure. That's not the way to look at it. That is enormous dignity. Do you recognize the dignity with which we have been created and with which we have been given? Richard Pratt who was a former teacher at RTS in Orlando, now runs Third Millennium Ministry, he says this, he says, everyone has lost the punch of Christianity because we've lost the story of Christianity. Listen to that. That's a challenging quote. Everyone has lost the punch of Christianity because we have lost the story of Christianity. And what is the story of Christianity? It begins at creation. Genesis chapter 1. So God created man in his own image. 
In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the face of the earth. Now, Dr. Pratt reminds us that in the context where Moses wrote that, in the ancient Near East, it was only kings and emperors who were called the images of the gods. And they had a job. They were kind of the intermediaries that had to learn the will of God in heaven and then enforce that will on earth. And then he says Moses was absolutely radical because he said that all human beings were the image of God and not just kings or emperors. And they were called to fill not just the Garden of Eden, but the entire earth with the knowledge of God. In other words, humanity, this is what it means to be a steward. Humanity's purpose is to be an instrument of kingdom expansion, extending God's kingdom throughout the earth is the purpose of humanity. Stewardship is about the kingdom of God. Paul said, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as living sacrifices. Your lives, our entire lives are be because of the mercies of God, because of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. We present our bodies to be used, our time, our gifts, our resources, our talents, and yes, our treasure is to be used to further kingdom expansion. See, when we talk about the gospel, we must remember that what we're talking about is the gospel of the kingdom. You don't separate the good news of Jesus Christ from Jesus Christ's kingdom. And the gospel always demands a response from us. It becomes like a marriage proposal, which individuals must accept or reject. Whenever the gospel is presented to people, God is, in essence, asking, will you marry me? That demands a yes or no. How many of us think about this? And I know we may have to think a while back. But when you asked your spouse, you asked your future wife to marry you, you do the get down on one knee, you plan something special, you do that, you kind of get down, honey, I love you, all the reasons, you give all of this, and then you get on one knee, will you marry me? And she says, maybe. She says, let me get back to you. Can I have three weeks to pray about it? Oh, how pious and spiritual that sounds. Come on, fellas, we know what that answer is. That's a no. Jesus asks us every day of our lives, will you marry him? We are called, by the way, the bride of Christ. One commentator put it this way. He says, here's the basic teaching of Christianity as regards to salvation. It says that although the entrance fee to the Christian life is nothing at all, it is completely by grace. The annual subscription rate is absolutely everything you have. Jesus said, and tell me, I don't know if this is the evangelism training we necessarily want to have, but this was Jesus' evangelism. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. 
Do we believe that? Whoever loses his life. Richard Pratt goes on to say, the American meta-narrative of an inalienable right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness might be good for government, but it's hard to support in terms of biblical Christianity. A narcissistic gospel is not found in the Bible. I'm telling you this because I want you to flourish. The path to joy is lose your life for the sake of the gospel. I am interested in your growth, and we grow by saying, I do, to Jesus every day. LOPC 2.0 is aimed at transformation. It is aimed at faith raising. It is aimed at heart change. But what gets in the way of growth? What stands in the way? This is really simple. We should know the answer to this. Raise your hand. It's called self. We get in the way of growth. It's real interesting in the context of this text in Matthew 6, part of the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus is not saying how to get in the kingdom. He's describing life in the kingdom. He's speaking to his disciples. It's not a salvation by works. He's saying, for you, you've received grace. You're in. You're free. Here's what kingdom life looks like. And he says what gets in the way of kingdom life is self. And in Matthew 6, it comes in two forms. Verses 1 to 18, it's all about hypocrisy. Verses 19 to 34, it's all about anxiety. And hypocrisy and anxiety are not so far apart as we might think. The cause of both is similar, and so is the cure. Let's take a look at both of those things. Let's look at Jesus' diagnosis, and let's look at Jesus' cure. St. Augustine said, where your pleasure is, there is your treasure. Where your treasure is, there is your heart. Where your heart is, there is your happiness. Jesus' diagnosis is, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The first part, the first thing that leads to anxiety, the first thing that leads to us not living as stewards, is we have treasure in the wrong place. Now think about this. What is treasure? It's that which we prize most dearly. That's why Augustine said, your treasure is where your pleasure is. Where you spend your money shows it's just a display. It's a demonstration of where your pleasure is. It shows what you prize most dearly. Jesus says there's only two places for our treasure to be, heaven or earth. Earth is a very insecure place to have your treasure. Earthbound treasure is liable to fail through deterioration, moth and rust destroy, unforeseen circumstances, thieves break in and steal. Jesus says live for heaven, not for earth. Then he says, second part of his diagnosis, is he says wrong vision. Thinking about life in the wrong way. He says, when we see clearly, this world is full of light, color, and beauty. But if our eyes are diseased, the world is dim, confusing, and even dark as night. Jesus is here speaking about the eye of the spirit, the eye of the heart. In the language of scripture, fixing the eye and fixing the heart amount to the same thing. Focusing our attention and concentrating our energies on something. 
Jesus is saying that the dark spirit of anxiety that grips us is caused by failure to focus spiritually and by thinking about life with a mistaken or diseased perspective. What's the cure? A healed perspective. And lastly, serving a wrong master. We were made to have a master, God. We were not created autonomous. We are worshiping creatures. We worship all the time. We are either worshiping God or we're worshiping something else. Jesus' diagnosis, where's your treasure? On what is your vision focused? And who is your master? Now, aren't you glad I'm not going to stop the sermon right there? Because that's bad news. Because we all have our treasure in wrong places. We all have our vision skewed. We all need a healing of perspective. And we all serve all sorts of masters other than Jesus all the time. So what is Jesus' cure? Look with me at verse 33. His cure is, and here's the foundation of, of stewardship. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek first his kingdom, his rule, his reign, his authority. Now, what exactly does that mean? What does it mean to be kingdom-centered in our life? And here is the key. We have to see and know the king of the kingdom. We have to get to know better the king of the kingdom. And who is the king of the kingdom? Jesus. It is only to the degree that we see, see, think about this. How do we make him our treasure? How do we seek first his kingdom? Here's the answer. It is only to the degree that you see that he made you his treasure. Do you believe that? You are Jesus' treasure. You are what's most important to the Lord of the universe. You are where his happiness is bound up in. You are what pleasures him the most. You are his deepest treasure. How do we know that? You should be asking me, Jeff, how can you prove that? See, think about this. Did Jesus hold on to his inalienable right to life? No. He gave up his life in order to have you his treasure. See, he prized you more than his own life. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. This to me is one of the most amazing scriptures in all of the Bible. The writer to the Hebrews says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. What was the joy that was set before him? It was you. It was me. It was us. We are Jesus' treasure. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Your heart is with your treasure. And the only way for you to have Jesus as your treasure is to know deeply that you're his treasure. And I've said it again and again. The hardest thing to do in life is to receive. We all want to be good enough. We all want to be sufficient enough. 
We all want to be adequate enough. That way we've kind of earned our way. We've made it. Jesus says, admit you're not adequate. Admit you're not good enough. And I'm adequate for you as your substitute. I took your place. I li- as Tim Keller says, I lived the life you should have lived. I died the death you should have died. It is only as we see that and only to the degree we see that. There's only one way renewal is going to happen here in this church and in this community, only to the degree that we are gripped and we rediscover the riches of the gospel. See, we were built for so much more than holding on to our rights, holding on to our autonomy, holding on to the inalienable right to life, our freedom. See, we need to recognize, as Paul wrote to the Colossians, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. I want you to think about what that means, that you are Jesus' treasure. And I want you to think about this then as we, what does Paul say, by the mercies of God, present our lives to him, present our time, present our talent, present our treasures. It's by the mercies of God. What is the mercy of God? I want you to hear your father's voice. When Jesus was baptized, the gospel writers tell us that the heavens were rent open. They were torn open. So this was kind of violent. This was not like this pretty thing. The heavens were torn open, and the Father's voice spoke of Jesus. You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. In other words, the son was the Father's treasure. The son was the Father's truest treasure. Now, if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a believer and trusting in Christ, where is your life now? It is in Christ. You are seen as if Jesus is your filter over you. I don't know much about social media. I don't know much about things like Instagram, but I hear there's a way to take pictures, and then you do all these things with filters. Do you recognize that Jesus is the filter over every one of your flaws, every one of your failures, every one of the things you regret, every aspect of your life that you're ashamed of, every part of you that you feel guilty about, every part of you that you feel like is not good enough, Jesus is the filter over you. So the Father's voice over you, this is what the Father is saying. You are my well-beloved son or daughter. With you I am well pleased. Only to the degree that we hear that that's the dominant voice will our hearts be renewed and moved to want others to hear that voice. That we will want others to live in light of that hope. That's the only hope. Isn't it amazing to know that Jesus is proud of you, that the Father's voice sings and dances over you? The only way to make him your true treasure is to recognize you are his true treasure. That sounds so paradoxical and counterintuitive, doesn't it? But that's the only way, and that's what LOPC 2.0 is going after. It is going after our hearts. It is aimed at heart change. As we go to the Lord's table right now, I want you to hear the Father's voice 
saying to, you are my well-beloved son or daughter. With you I am well pleased. 